0: Okay, we kind of seems like everybody's here a little early this week. Everybody's eager to be here bright and early. If you have not already uh, gotten a copy of uh, the notes for this week, they're right there on the corner there for this week's notes. The handouts are right there on the chairs up front here. Uh, A couple of people had asked, too, about notes for the first two weeks. Those are on the other two chairs next to those. So if you need... uh, notes from the other previous weeks on, on the catechism. Uh, they're there on the, the second two chairs in. The, this week's are on the corner. Uh, we're gonna do something a little bit different this week as well is that we're trying to do this with two mics because again, we're getting, we had a lot of good discussion about the interaction. It was really, really important. And we wanna continue to make sure that this is participatory. So we're gonna try to use two mics this time. And so we're not having to run around as much um, We'll have maybe one mic for this side and one mic for that side. And if I can get, I've already got one uh, person who's gonna take care of this side. We'll wait till another victim comes in on the other side and we'll have them run for, uh, for the other side here. So again, just to make it easy so that we, we don't have to wait in between. But again, there's just so much good discussion and that's really part of it. Uh, you know, again, that's sort of the purpose of the catechism is to be able to have interaction and that's what we want to make sure we're doing. And again, so much that was shared over the last uh, week or two has been uh, really helpful and encouraging. So let me open this in prayer, and then we'll get into our study this week for this week. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your Word. We thank you that we can come together and all together sharp, sharpen each other's iron as we as we delve into the Word and we have tools to help us and point us to the the eternal truths that are in your word lord i just pray that you would continue to strengthen us and encourage us and equip us through uh, your word today and that you would uh, again lord help us to understand the importance of having a firm foundation based on the truth of scripture in all that we do so lord uh, bless our time together now. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so as we continue uh, this week in our, our study for the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, last week, if you remember, in the last couple of weeks we've been talking about and even the overview, that the the, the Heidelberg is basically brought, broken up into three different sections. Does Can anybody... Uh, remember what the three main sections of the Heidelberg are. And we've got mics around, and if I can get, uh, I don't know if, uh, we don't have anybody on that side of the room now. (laughs) Everybody's kind of concentrated on one side of the room. (laughs) But uh, yes, uh, what are the the main sections of the the Heidelberg? Um, Misery. Yep, misery. Redemption and deliverance, right? Yeah, m- misery, redemption, and what? Deliverance? Deliver- uh, deliverance is actually what we're going to start today. So sin and misery oh. is the first one. Oh. Sin and misery, okay, that, that, that's the first one. Deliverance is what we're going to actually be camped on today. This is, this is the really the glorious part. This is the Jesus part, the deliverance part. And then, wait, somebody else is? <laughs> Teamwork, okay, team responses are good. That's fine. <laughs> Sin and misery, deliverance, and then future glory, kind of? Gratitude. So the response to what we've just been, so the response to these things. Hunter, can I ask you to be a mic runner this week? Would you mind? All right, I'm going to. If I could have you be for this side of the room, we've got somebody for that side. We're gonna use two mics this week. And you know how to operate that. So I appreciate your help on that. So those are the three main sections. So we we started off on the sin and misery part. And this week we're now we can we can jump into the deliverance, deliverance part. Um, we we do need to review the the study you know a little bit of what we've been studying because these things build precept upon precept so I want to make sure especially for those who might have missed some or uh, again the purpose of the catechism is to keep building and reminding so there's the, uh, it, it was structured so that people could learn and repeat and recite these things so that it gets stuck in our minds we need to hear it more than once so uh, obviously um, that's the purpose and secondly to fully understand. The aspect that we're getting into this week of deliverance, to fully understand and appreciate what this is, we first need to be reminded of what, where, and how this sin and misery came to be. We have to, the good news of deliverance does not seem that valuable if we don't understand what we've been delivered from. Hope everybody gets that. That's why we want to make sure we're studying on this as well. So. Here's the next question for everybody. Question one, from the very first week, this is the, this is the one that kind of starts it all off, off. What is our only comfort in life and death? Who can tell us what is our only comfort in life and death? Raise your hand if you remember the very first question from the catechism. In your own words, again, you do have to have this spot on. What's our only comfort in life and death? That's why we have to repeat this. <laughs> That's why we're going over this as a review. We want everybody to get comfortable. Okay, part of it. That's fine. Go ahead.
1: That uh, we are not our own, but we belong. That's Th- it. We belong to God, body, soul. Yes. Son, da, da, da. Yes, as I say, don't
0: have, so it doesn't close. have to be, uh, we're not looking for perfection in the words, but perfection in the concept that we belong to Christ. That's it. What, what you said was correct. Uh, you know, use, Because when you're saying this, again, if you're using this especially for a tool of evangelism, you don't have to be able to recite the catechism. You want to be able to, in a normal conversation with someone, be able to give this back to someone and say, you know, this is our hope. Our hope is that I belong to Christ. That, that's, what we, that's what we're banking on right now. That's our comfort, that we belong to Christ. And then the next question, the second question is a little bit more detail. What do you need in, uh, to know in order to live and die in in the joy of this comfort. So, again, in your own words, it doesn't have to be, again, the picture-perfect Heidelberg version, but what things do you need to know to die in the joy of this comfort? Anybody even remember one or two of the the points there that uh, were made from the catechism? I'll help you with this one, because this is a compound answer. But this is something we we need to be comfortable with in our own words. First of all, (laughs) how great our sins are. If you think of it this way, it's really just breaking down to the three main sections of the catechism, right? First of all, how great our sins are. That's the first thing we need to know. To really become a believer, we need to know how great our sins are. And then secondly, what we're studying this week is how we're to be delivered from those sins. So that's how that comes to be. And then thir- thirdly is just how to be thankful. How do we show that we are thankful for being delivered from these things? So those are the first two questions of the catechism. So that was from the, the very first week, but I, I, hope you, I hope you can just humor us as we go through these again a little bit every week and hopefully they'll become a little bit more easy for you to just roll off your tongue a little bit about what what's, the, what's our only uh, only comfort and what's, how bad is our sin and misery. These, these are things that we all need to be, okay, yeah. Uh, again, if you came in late, the ones on the on the end are for this week. There's two pages. Some of them are stapled, some of them aren't. Those are for other weeks. Uh, so yeah, again, the, th- the ones on this corner are for, for this week and the others are for previous weeks. Um, so those are from week one. And again, the, the copy of those notes and outlines, please help yourself, they're up front here. Last week, we studied uh, the questions and answers for three different questions. The first one, from where do you know your sins and misery? So this is a fairly easy one. So where do we know or how do we know our sins and misery? Brett? Oh, <laughs> pointing at the wrong person. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we know our sins? How do we know our sins? What, what, what was part of the catechism that we were learning la- last week? How do we know what our sins are? Got a mic in somebody's hand. There we go. From the law of God. From the law of God. That's how we know. That makes it very specific and clear what, what our sins are. From the law of God. Right? We studied that. So out of the law, we discussed how the law does this by revealing God's standard uh, and showing how far short we fall of that. That's what this. That's what that question reminds us of and points us to. And then the second is, what does the law require, require of us? And this is something that, was, that Christ summarized. So Christ summarized, i give you a really good hint here. Christ summarized this in just two basic things from Matthew. Does anybody remember what, what the law requires of us? Yes, Al. And your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two. Those are the two things. That's what we need to do. Love. That's that's how we how we do this. And Jesus summarized that by using in that passage. And that is a summary. Those two things are a summary of the ten commandments. And we discussed kind of how that those two concepts are actually just a summary of the ten commandments of, of the law. Uh, so again, thanks, Alex. Perfect. And. The last one was, um, can you keep this law perfectly? I think everybody's got the answer for that one. <laughs> can any of us keep this law perfectly? I think we all know that one. And the, the catechism it teaches, no, I'm inclined by nature to not only hate God, but hate my neighbor. Which is why that summary that Jesus gave us uh, from Matthew is really important to understand. they are supposed to love God and love your neighbor, but our inclination is to hate God and hate our neighbor. Really important to understand that that's just our, again, that's, that's our basic nature that we've in, in inherited. And that's why we have to seek this through uh, the deliverer, which is what we'll get into now. So um, again, the reason is we've inherited this from Adam's sin nature. And now that these truths about ourselves and we understand our hopeless predicament, we're gonna explore how we can be delivered from, from our position. Questions 12 through 15 from Lord's Day 5 on the catechism is what's in your handouts. So if, again, if handouts are on the corner, corner chair if you need them, if you don't have one yet. These questions really give us a great framework and I, I would say perspective to ponder the meaty truths Uh, that are revealed uh, in the scripture reading passage that were recommended last week. And I'm not going to go ask for a a show of hands of how many of you read those passages. I I will say, if you did not get a chance to read those passages, you've really missed out. These passages, the Leviticus passage, which we'll, we'll at least touch on, the Matthew passage, and the Hebrews passage, those are crucial to what we're going to be discussing today. And if you haven't read those, I encourage you, they're not real long. Read those passages this week because it will help you make sense out of everything that we're going to study uh, today. That's what, the, that's what the catechism is pointing us to, uh, the, the truths that are in, in there. Anyone who has, again, I didn't call anybody out for seeing who, and who did and didn't read the passages, but anybody who has read Levitus, Leviticus, the Leviticus 4, can somebody just give us a, a brief summary of what Leviticus 4 talks about? Give a, a brief summary of what Leviticus 4 is about?
2: Oh, we got one over there. Yeah. So basically in Leviticus 4, is, uh, all the details for the sin offering that they had to go through, um, so the sp- the, you know, the killing of the animal, the sprinkling of blood, And then, you know, what to do with the blood and what to do with the animal and uh, and so on and so forth, basically. Yeah, all
0: the details. So if you didn't get a chance to read it again, all of the details and it's minute details, right? I mean, it is very, very specific. God ordained. These are very this is what needs to be done for a sin offering. And as we're going to see the fulfillment of that in a moment. But this is really important to appreciate Hebrews. You have to read and understand Leviticus. And that this, <laughs> uh, let me read a little bit of this to you right now, just the very beginning of this, because these, they're so connected to all of this. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. That's just the first three chapters. I mean, first three uh, verses. These, these questions from the Heidelberg point to exactly what's going on here in Leviticus and Matthew and Hebrews. Um, and it's so clear, too, because these sin offerings are for all the people. You, you notice the very first verse of that talks about sins for the priests. So priests weren't exempt from this. Some priests also had sins that had to be atoned for, and that's why there was a sin offering there. You know, when reading through the catechism and reading through the scriptures, it, it's so easy. You could take this from either direction. You could go from high view uh, of scripture and, dr- and drill down to the details, or you can start from the details and work your way back. And it's just amazing how this all flows together. We're going to try to cover this, and I want to go over all the questions first, so you at least then we can have some more discussion once we've seen the questions and how all those relate. But it's really important to first understand Leviticus 4, and this is really going to give us more of the, the joy and understanding of what the other scripture passages are. So the first question here is, since it says, since according to God's righteousness, judgment We deserve temporal and eternal punishment. How can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? So the answer, uh, according to the catechism here, God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. So the question really here restated is, how do we sinners escape punishment from a perfectly just judge? And the answer is clear: that somehow payment must be made in full. There's got to be a full payment made. The Old Testament examples show the constant sacrifices that had to go on. There had to be yearly sacrifices. There were other sacrifices too, but especially the yearly sacrifices. This was this was a big deal. This was uh, <laughs> this was a slaughterhouse. And I'd like to for those. And then when you get to the New Testament, Matthew makes it clear that judgment and eternal punishment await all those who are unfaithful. And Jesus himself is the one who talked about eternal punishment. And I want to discamp for just a second on this thing about eternal punishment, too. Because uh, this is a point that many people uh, try to deny that a loving God would ever bring eternal punishment on anyone. Has anyone else ever heard that from somebody, especially a non-believer, that, oh, I don't, I, don't believe, I don't believe that a loving God would ever do any kind of eternal punishment? Have we heard that kind of stuff from people before? So that's denying the very truth that Jesus himself spoke, especially in the Matthew passage there. Jesus is making it clear again and again and again in the Matthew passage that there is, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is going to be an eternal Damnation, punishment, judgment—whatever you want to call that. So when people, and some even in the church, who say, "Well, I, I you know, I, I kind of believe that God's a loving God, and and He'll just love us," basically, how are you going to res- how are you going to respond? And this is this is where let, let's sharpen each other's iron here. If someone comes to you and says, "I, I, I don't believe that a loving God would ever give eternal punishment," what what is your what is your response behind you?
3: Um, States like specifically, what I just heard in the last few days <laughs> is that um, specifically that that's not justice, that eternal punishment doesn't seem just for a crime that's committed, not just that. I don't know if that makes sense. so yeah yeah, so people will say that eternal that, that seems too much. So it's just
0: just kind of expanding on the question right there that all of us have heard in one way or the other. It sounds like you ran into somebody who was asked, actually, well, yeah, I can get maybe that God would punish, but why would he punish eternally? Well, what's your answer? This is your opportunity. So how do you answer that question? When somebody says, well, I don't believe that a loving God would would punish, or I don't believe that a, a loving God would punish eternally, what's our response to that?
4: You have to understand that the crime or the punishment has to meet the crime therefore how egregious yeah. is the crime right and to sin against almighty god is deserves eternal punishment
0: yeah. yeah who we're sinning against almighty eternal god so specifically to part of the the question about eternal punishment well you've sinned against an eternal everlasting god for one
3: So I'll add to like how the conversation basically had to end is the fact that um, you know the unbeliever they're never going to get it because their frame of reference isn't God centered they don't understand the eternality of God and the um, infinity nature the infinite nature of God. So it's one of those things where you, you can't argue it. Uh, well, I, could, I, I kind of saw that there's no way to argue past this um, because when the unbeliever just can't get to the place where to understand you know, who God is and the, God, the, the, the attributes of God in that sense, it'll never seem just to them. You know? Right, e- exactly.
0: Because again, the, the standard, as opposed to the authority of God's word is my own feelings and, and my own philosophy is this. And that's why, regardless of whether we, again, our purpose in evangelism is not to win arguments. Our purpose in evangelism is to lead them to the truth and lovingly, and there are gonna be times where it's just, there's a stone wall there. Our job is to be faithful at the point of that, of that contact and share the truth in love Knowing that sometimes, until that heart's regenerated, they're not even gonna—they don't even give mental assent to it. But as much as we can, we want to give them a rational, reasonable argument. So that, again, back to Ralph's point, we when we at least expound that this is an eternal God and He's a holy and just God—that's part of our response. We tell them that because that's who Christ is, and that's what we want to point people at. What else, what what else is, how else have you responded when those people, to people that want to say that there is no, uh,
2: there wouldn't be a a God who punishes or especially gives eternal punishment? I've actually encountered this argument before. And one thing that I use to help them understand is, you know, if I were to go to say like a homeless person or what we you know, consider a peasant, you know, and, 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 and dishonor them, or like just to say, spit in their face, the, the repercussions would be zero. Now, if I were to go to a police officer and spit in his face, I would probably end up in jail. If I were to go to the president of the United States and spit in his face, who knows what would happen because of his status, you know, his honor. And so if, if you go up the scale and continue, and when you get to God, it's how, how much more honorable is he? How much more perfect is he? How much more lovable and all his attributes combined how much more worthy is, he, is is he of our due honor and respect
0: perfectly said Does everybody get that i mean it's uh, it's it's who's been offended and regardless of whether people want to accept it or not that's what people need to hear well i would
4: say it depends on the president um <laughs>
3: but <laughs> well there's other <coughs> issues about that uh, hill for instance degrees of hell and so that could be entered into the equation when you talk to somebody. Mm
0: -hmm. Different punishment.
5: So um, one of the things in uh, discussing this with uh, an unbeliever who wants to challenge this idea, uh, sometimes I'll try to turn it back around and challenge their thinking a little bit, Mm -hmm. and I'll ask them the question, (coughs) if you were God, why would you want any humans in your kingdom? Look at what we've done to this, earth look at the immorality and the misery and the pain and the suffering and all of the evil that has been caused by people Mm -hmm. right and so why you know and and it's not like we're doing our best and you know this is what we've come up with we've created this this misery and this evil on this earth by shaking our fist at God and saying you're not the boss of us we're going to do whatever we want and nobody can deny that they've done that we've all done that and we've, we've told God, we want nothing to do with you. We don't want to listen to you. We don't want to obey you. We, you know, we want to be independent and do our own thing. Why would God say, oh, okay, well, why don't you come to my new kingdom I'm creating and <laughs> cause the same problems there? You know, and I think getting people to, to think about it from that perspective um, makes the gospel more um, meaningful.
0: Oh, really good. Yes, back here.
1: And I think that um, we definitely can get caught up in focusing on, um, you know, with the with the non-believer about the what they would consider the unjust, mm. of the separation. <coughs> but if we can also then, as kind of Jared referenced, is to kind of almost flip it on its head and say, how wonderful then is the salvation that you would receive through the blood of Jesus Christ. And to flip that and to say, yes, but you're welcome to receive this beautiful gift of salvation. Yeah. And to focus on that as... A A gateway through the the separation that we would have received
0: that that's really really important too that we're we're not just telling them we shouldn't be doing this but this is what you have to look forward to do you see the glory of god do you see how gracious and merciful he is to have done that that that's really important that we we take it to the next step and, and show the beauty of that um so Really, this is, that's sort of the main idolatry of this day, right? I mean, because they're creating a false God. God has revealed to us in his word who he is, what his character is, and those people will say, well, I don't believe in a God who would blank, fill in the blank, and it's something different than what the Bible says. Well, regardless of what you believe about that, this is what God's character is, and if you're creating a God Basically, we try to create a God in our own image that would let us slide. That's what most people are looking for, right? Because we hate God and his authority. So we're looking for something that, hey, if I'm graded by this kind of a God, I'll look pretty good. So that's why we need to make sure we bring this truth to bear in these discussions uh, with people uh, and, and don't encourage them to idol worship, which is, oh, you get to determine who God is. We don't get to determine who God is. God is who he is he's revealed himself to us. Big difference between those two. And anything else is, is idol worship, uh, especially when people are denying the attribute of justice, um, they're in, in, in inventing a false god. So good discussion, thanks everybody. That's real, I hope you all find that helpful to hear what everybody's sharing, how, how you would share uh, practically from that. The second question there is, is question 13 says, can we by ourselves make this payment? Pretty simple answer. Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. So that's what the, this is saying. Every day we're increasing our debt. Anybody add any sins to their list of sins every day? Every day our debt load is increasing. So, and back to the Leviticus passage. Even the priests and the leaders, as well as the common people, all needed to offer sacrifices. Everyone. It wasn't just one class of people that sacrifices had to be offered for. Everyone had to return to offer sacrifices because they continued to sin. You know, if if you've ever had one of those really good days where you think you've gone 24 hours without sinning, I'd like to hear what that day looked like. If you haven't sinned in thought or deed, because all of us every day in thought or deed are, are, are sinning somehow. And... Back to Leviticus, the sacrifices. Has anybody done any study, not only in the Le- Leviticus 4 text, but has anybody ever done any studies on the sacrifices of the Old Testament that you want to share a little bit of color? Because this might be really helpful to everyone else on what these sacrifices are like. Has anyone really thought through what those sacrifices were like during the, these, these, especially these yearly sacrifices, what that looked like? Does anybody have...
1: I was thinking about how many people there were. Um, Leviticus takes us back to the Israelites in the desert, and there were at least two million people sinning all day long, all night long, even the priest. (laughs) And so they all had, I think about the sacrifices, and, and that chapter four takes us into the specific instructions on each sacrifice the ones that were unintentional, the ones that were intentional, and how horrible that must have been. (laughs) Just the rippling effect of sin on not only like, oh, I have to go stand in line again with this animal and have it killed, but the smoke that was, because they burned everything, so the smoke that was in the air 24 hours a day, all day long, and what that, that's like, the smoke is oppressive. We all know what it's like to have smoke out in the air all day. Uh, there's just so many levels of thinking about um, parting with the animal that maybe you've <laughs> been feeding, <laughs> watering daily, you know, just the, the, the negative effect and the cost of the sin on the, per on the sinner and then also on the camp and Just that daily, that daily um, oppressive effect of sin. We don't have that. We don't really feel that now. We don't smell the smoke. We just all the senses that were involved in hearing, seeing the line of people, a huge line of people all day long. Mm -hmm. That's what I think of when I think of Leviticus 4.
3: I just. uh, i thought it was interesting when she just said um, that sometimes we have when, when those sacrifices happened we had to give up animals mm-hmm. that we maybe loved mm-hmm. that makes me think about how god loved his only son and he had to give him up for us
0: you guys getting that and we're gonna we're gonna get into that in the deliverance part here in hebrews in just a minute but yeah think about that it, it gives me chills to think about that giving up that I, I mean these sacrifices, that's why the yearly sacrifices had to be done to remind people that you, you're still sinning, you're still piling up more sins, and there's gonna, you're going to have to sacrifice something of value because of that. There's that reminder, and, and, not, and all the smoke and the stench and the blood. Think about the blood from 2 million plus animals. I mean, we, we can't even fathom that. This is more than just a normal slaughterhouse. I mean, this is just, this is a bloody mess. And that, very much like our Savior Jesus crossed. Jesus Christ at the cross was, was a bloody mess. The same thing. Again, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. But again, I, I hope you see, here's what Leviticus points out. It reminds us of get that because when we get into Hebrews then you're going to see what what happens the next question gets kind of at the heart of whether animal sacrifices are enough to cover sin it says the question is can any mere creature pay for us and the answer from the catechism is no in the first place God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed furthermore no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath Against sin and deliver others from it. I, I want to read the beginning of Hebrews, just the beginning part. And if we, if I wish, we had time to just read through the whole passage of Hebrews ten because it is just glorious in the in the revelation here. But the beginning of Hebrews ten makes it abundantly clear. It says, "For since the law, which is what we just read about in Leviticus, right? So since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can." It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after, every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the question from the, the text is, why did sacrifices have to be continually offered? And the answer is, we continue to sin. We talked about that. And animals are not equal to man in, in nature and value. There is a difference between man and animals. And that even, even that's getting blurred these days, right? I mean, there's a difference between, there's two genders, and now it's like, oh, animals are the same as humans in any parts of our society these days. So that leads to the last question from the catechism. Then we'll we'll really get into some some detailed discussion, especially of Hebrews here. So, So what kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? The answer is one who is a true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures. That is one who is at the same time true God. Boom. That's it. That's the deliverance. That's the only kind of deliverer that can deliver us from these constant, always increasing sins that we have. And this is where chapter 10 of Hebrews really turns all, the, all of the floodlights uh, on our deliverer. Jesus the God man is the only one worthy and able to cover sins. And I, I honestly, I think this is one of the strongest links in the entire Bible from old, New Testament. If you want to see an example of how miraculously and supernaturally the word has been preserved over the thousands of years that it was written and is still cohesive you look at one of these oldest books in the Old Testament Leviticus, this is a very old book and you look at the New Testament and you look at Hebrews and you see that there is this unbroken chain. That goes. This thread goes all the way through. It's I, I, you know. There's. I think it's even stronger than most of the prophecy. You know, we talk about prophecy and then the fulfillment, and those we see many examples of. We saw plenty of those in Luke. We, you know, you you, you read prophecies in Isaiah about what the suffering servant's going to be like. This is even more than just a prophecy, because it actually explains the gospel. It begins with. We're we're sinners, and there's got to be a sacrifice, and then it shows us what that sacrifice is going to look like. Um, So um, Leviticus obviously shows just how big and uh, and how important it was and how much reminder that we needed. So what does that tell you? When, When you think about all these, the the, back to Leviticus for a minute. When you think about millions of people literally gathering at least once a year for this massive offering of sacrifices, what does that tell you about God's view of sin? This is an important question. So, what does that tell you about God's view of sin? If all these sacrifices have to be made, what does that tell you? How, how does God view sin?
5: it uh suggests that it's obviously quite a big deal to god and um, it's something that he wants us to be very aware of uh, how um, just just the impact of our sin and 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 the fact that it requires a substantial punishment
0: how big and how important it is for us to first be aware of our sin leviticus makes that really really clear so it's a big deal to God. So he wants us to, um, he takes it seriously. We're all continually guilty, which is why there's the ongoing sacrifices that we see throughout the Old Testament. Um, there's all these continual offerings to remind us of our continual guilt, and he wants everyone to know and be reminded how bad sin is, and he specifically prescribes how sin is to be acknowledged and dealt with, uh, even in the Old Testament. And then, how does Hebrews tie in to Leviticus? So here, here's it. Th- this is this is where we really want to focus all of our discussion on right now. So, share, please. How does Leviticus tie into what we just read in Hebrews? I know. Go ahead.
5: Um, yeah. So I, I think uh, actually looking at, at question uh, 14 again and the answer to it, I thought was actually a little bit insufficient, and they kind of. Answer that better in, in question 15. One of the reasons that a creature can't um, can't make a payment for sin is if you look at the Old Testament law in Leviticus, the creature had to be without blemish. It had to be like you, you didn't you didn't bring like the you didn't bring the the animal that was struggling and you know you know had a broken leg and couldn't do anything for your for you anyway. You brought your best. And so if you think about um, making a sacrifice, well, one of us couldn't make a sacrifice for somebody else in the room because we all have a blemish. We all have sin, we're, we're not the best. So for somebody to make a sacrifice for sin would have to be somebody perfect without blemish who is the best. And of course that, that could only be Jesus. There's, you know, there's nobody else that, that could do that. And that's the tie-in between Leviticus and, and Hebrews you know, and then going to, well, okay, well, then why animals in the Old Testament if those weren't sufficient? Well, those were never actually making a payment for sin. Those were all just a picture yes. to point us to Christ. Those were all just symbolic yeah. of the sacrifice that Jesus would make on our behalf because he's, he's the only one who can truly take away sin. And Hebrews 10 clearly says that, that the, that the blood of animals uh, never actually washed away sin. It was all symbology to point to Christ.
0: Amen amen what else when you're sitting okay over here what, what's that guy
3: so none of us were born of a virgin oh none of us were born of a
0: virgin okay uh, that's a, that's a big difference <laughs> What <else?
4: coughs> um this is the one that always grabs my attention uh john 17 uh right in the um fourth verse where jesus is speaking and praying for the disciples and also praying for us in the great high priestly prayer and to think about who it is that died for us in context who it is that gave himself up that we might have life and he says it himself and now O father glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Infinitely God sent to this earth to give himself up that we might be delivered from this sin. That's what
0: it's all about to me. Amen. The infinite sacrifice. And even back to the whole question about why would there be an eternal punishment well, the, the, other, the, the, the beauty of it back to, I think, what Amy said is that there's an infinite sacrifice that overcomes the eternal punishment. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's the glory and that's the hope we look forward to. Infinite sacrifice can even cover what is due to us, which is eternal punishment there. What else? What else do you see from the links from Leviticus to Hebrews for anybody who's who's had a chance to even just briefly look through the Leviticus and Hebrews what what else does it tell you about uh, about God or what else does it how else does it explain the gospel maybe is another way, way to put that how does that how does it explain the gospel
2: Well, just the once for all nature of Christ's sacrifice rather than having the, the animals being repeatedly offered year after year. We have a we have a sacrifice that was done once and for all. And that's why for those of us who are in Christ, we have this incredible gift of assurance and rest and contentment because we know that once we're in the covenant by his sacrifice, we're in and we remain in. and We were always in um, and the, all the promises attached to it.
0: What else anybody want to share about are, are you seeing the link between leviticus and hebrews i i mean kind of looks like there's a one divine author over all of that right I, it's just a clear it's not even a dotted line it, it's a thick dark bold line this is what i showed people to point to christ hebrew says This is the Christ that is the fulfillment of all that. The once for all sacrifice, it's done. You don't have to keep sacrificing those animals. And then it lets us appreciate. I I don't, for me personally, I don't know that there's any other passages in scripture that give me a deeper appreciation for what God has done than to go and look at Old Testament passages like Leviticus and see all the things that were required for sinners like me that have now been completely taken care of by our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all been done. And it, it, and it gives all of the reasons why he is sufficient and he is capable and he is able to do these things. Hebrews is just glorious that way. Just again, the spotlights come out and show how God in Christ has made that way of deliverance, which is what we're studying. Which is, this is the fun part of, of the catechism of, of thinking about Think of what God has done. Do we appreciate all that's been done? Do we appreciate Christ's perfection, spotless, without blemish, all of these things, that it was an eternal and infinite sacrifice? It's beautiful. And I hope you guys see and are encouraged to to think and ponder that when you're reading Old Testament. I know sometimes, especially for those that are new, studying the Bible, you can get bogged down in some of the Old Testament. It's like, well, why is there all these sacrifices? these sacrifices are pointing to the one that says, that's all done away with. Doesn't that make you appreciate things? (laughs) We don't have to do all this stuff. We don't have to stand in a line of two million people to go slaughter our our animals. Man, that's glorious. That is true. Yes.
6: Well, in line with it, (coughs) With a statement that you made, Uh, let me share this uh, verse, Romans 4, verse 7. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Three things that we need to focus on. Forgiven, and then covered, and never count against him. And then, so... In the Old Testament, uh, we have learned that each person, each person, uh, they have to offer a sacrifice, which will take a lot of time cleaning up those (laughs) animals. But in the New Testament, there's only one sacrifice and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then on Isaiah 43, 25, I even I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more.
0: That comforting to think about. Thank you. That was that was really important. I mean, the, the Bible clearly tells us here uh, that that sin is sin is sin is real, and sin is really bad, and. There was a, uh, one quick thing on page 27 of uh, the, the Heidelberg I just want to share with you about the idol worship. Um, because that, that is the common idol that people want to make out. You know, God being something that we can determine who he is. He's just outlined his nature perfectly, for what, both from the Old and the New Testament, what you guys have been sharing. Um, but mankind, uh, when, we're, when we're dealing with uh, fallen man, it says, we all by nature prefer to think of God only in terms of his goodness and mercy. We would like him to be the kind of God who is willing to just let our sins go without insisting on justice. As a matter of fact, this is the way many people today think about God, and it's idolatry. And we have to be able to share the truth in love that no, I, your, your, your concept of God, if it doesn't line up with this, is wrong because you're worshiping some idol that you created. The Bible makes clear that that sin is real and sin is bad. God is holy and God is just, and so he must punish sin, and Christ is the only sufficient covering for sin. And he took the punishment uh, for those that belong to him, and those that don't accept that free gift are gonna have to deal with the punishment themselves, and that punishment's eternal. Because Christ doesn't just save us temporarily he saves us eternally, just like the punishment's going to be eternal, too. You can't have one without the other. You can't have it both ways. That's the reality of it. Uh, those that don't accept the free gifts and submit their lives to him, they're going to pay the penalty themselves and be punished eternally. And in the last question in your handout, there's two facts that clearly show that sins will not go unpunished. Um, those two things, uh, the reason I brought that up, is just to, to, for you to ponder throughout the week, the things that show clearly that sins will not go unpunished are first, what the Bible tells us, that some people will suffer. That's what Matthew passage talks about. Remember, all these different people, that there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We did not have time to read all of that right now, but some people will suffer, according to Jesus' own words, will suffer eternal punishment. But number two, Jesus' suffering in death redeemed and saved the people his people the church from punishment so there's two groups of people that show the fact that that sin requires punishment and justice those that are going to be punished eternally and jesus who is punished once and for all for all of our sins for eternity it's done it's over it's finished and i I hope you're encouraged we're going to spend at least one more week in this whole part of the deliverance and and how important deliverance is, and the deliverer, most importantly, pointing people to Christ, right? We wanna see Christ exalted through all of this. And he's exalted as we just read through these passages because he is that perfect, spotless, blameless lamb that is worthy to be praised. Let's close in prayer here. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you offered the only adequate and sufficient sacrifice for all of our sins, which we continue to pile up day after day, which we could never pay for, which even sacrificing other things could never pay for. Only your precious blood is enough to atone for all of our, all of our sins, Lord. We thank you that we are covered with the blood of Christ and now can approach you even just the simple act of being able to pray directly to you because the curtain is torn, because Jesus paid the full and final price for all of our sins, now giving us access to you, Father. Thank you for providing the one sacrifice that is enough. Thank you, Lord, for for loving us and caring for us, for being both just and loving, and being the justifier for, for us lord we thank you for christ we thank you for his finished work we thank you for lord just this time where we could all together share and remind and encourage and 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 just uplift each other with the truth of of what you've done and what your word has revealed so thank you lord for all these things continue to prepare our hearts to worship you more as your church as your bride as 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 your body that you have prepared for yourself by covering us. So thank you, Lord, for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.